because I had no intention of a career in tech. Let's not talk about what you think the solution is. Let's actually just talk about what the problem is. An amazing team, and I still say to this day, one of the best teams I've ever ever worked with. But, you know, all of a sudden, I was working in a business that, you know, had um, operations in Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Bahrain, Oman, Kuwait, yeah, wow. Dubai, Qatar. Stakeholder management is probably one of the yeah. um, most underappreciated skills. Think your individual style is something that you've got to craft. Having that foresight to know, to be bold and brave and courageous and step out of your comfort zone, and also having, I guess, the, the sensibility to say, actually, I need to be conservative here. Keeping our customers safe as well and having that reputation and trust. There's certainly, there's certainly some roles where I've stepped into, and I remember giving Julie a call at one point saying, oh, I, I'm not sure I've made the right call. Jamie Newman an accomplished technology and digital leader with over two decades of experience spearheading applications and infrastructure transformations across national and regional scopes. With a strategic approach to technology honed through collaboration across Oceania, Southeast Asia, Europe and the Middle East, Jamie is renowned for delivering tangible business value. Jamie has a strong focus on customer and stakeholder engagement, delivering solutions to real world problems. His career has seen him work for large corporations and family owned businesses including Wilson Group, Devondale Murray Goldburn, Landmark, GSK, IBM, Telstra, and Dennis Family Homes. You'll hear how his family and upbringing has shaped Jamie into the leader he is today. Jamie, look, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, we're delighted to have you on the show. Um, you've, you've had an incredible career in technology, uh, and it's seen you work with people pretty much in, in every corner of the globe. Yep. Um, however, when I looked at your LinkedIn, I, I couldn't really figure out how it all began. Uh, and it got me thinking, you know, where, where did a young Jamie Newman mm. want to be when he grew up? Mm. So how, how did it start and how did you kind of end up in, in yeah, tech? Yeah, that's fascinating because I had no intention of a career in tech. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> um, I was pretty good with maths and science at school and um, was sort of aiming maybe military, going, okay. sort of, going sort of that phase, but grew disenchanted with that sort of halfway through uh, what we, was VCE. Yep. Um, and got to the end of year 12, passed with reasonable scores, um, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought I'll, I'll what, they what they call a gap year now, yeah. I, 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 thought, I thought I'd take a year <laughs> off and sort of figure that out. And um, I was quite lucky. My, my brother was um, fairly senior in Telstra right. at that point. Uh, and... Uh, I sort of said to him, I don't know what I want to do. And he goes, look, he goes, I'll, I'll find you something. So a couple of weeks later, I, I'm sitting in an interview for, of all things, a payroll administration job yep. at Telstra. Um, and a couple of weeks after that, so, you know, sort of mid-January, I started this role at, at Telstra in payroll administration. Um, You're right. Back in the day of handwritten allowances and overtime. And that's what I was doing. I was processing leave applications and all that stuff. But yeah, right. On some very archaic systems. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that's where it all started. So it's probably not a... Not a conventional yep. uh, starting point, um, but after a, we all need to begin somewhere, right? Yeah, and that's right. And and for me, it was at that point a stopgap. Yeah, you know, and I'll figure it out, and I'll figure out where I want to go. And as I said, I was quite interested in science and that sort of stuff. Um, and then back in the old days of internal recruitment vacancies, and you know, um, not even emails. This is this is you know handwritten sort yep. of stuff. Um, a vacancy came up to support the the HR and or what we know as our HRIS these days, um, yeah. the HR system that was in house, fully in house built, green screen, all that sort of stuff. 
but someone to run sort of the, the first level support for that team. And I was curious and had a, applied. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back then, you know, it was, it was really up to you to, to drive your own career. Yeah. So I had a vacancy, applied for it, got it, didn't really know what I was doing, sort of figured it out. And after that, started to jump through various technology roles at, at Telstra. And then um, after a couple of those, um, dropped onto this, this program replacing that HRIS with a product called SAP. Yeah. Um, and sort of that's when it all took off. Yeah, right. Okay. So how, so how did that uh, sort of come about with the migration into to the SAP role? Yeah, so um, I, I'd worked I'd worked in a couple of support roles and I moved into a training role out at one of the regional offices, training the systems. Um, and then a project got stood up to replace the HR system that I'd been supporting um, with a Lend-Lease product. Back then it was called the Solution Series, which has died its death a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and Telstra uh, went on a fairly ambitious project to replace their in-house system with that. Um, went live, but probably didn't hit the mark. Yeah. Um, and so then, I, you know, the, the powers that be, and I was very much not in those rooms at that point, um, decided that they'd, uh, they'd review that and, and go again. And it came down to, in the good old days, PeopleSoft versus SAP. That was, yeah. that was where it was. <laughs> You know, things like success factors and those things certainly weren't around. No. Um, and SAP got the nod. And so the team that were working on the, the previous solution moved across and they said, all right, we're, we're going to go again. Um, and so I came in as a, as a security and authorizations, flexible REM, that sort of type yep. subject matter expert. So I understand the business process really well. Yeah, okay. Um, and we'll, we'll teach you the we'll teach you the technology right. So do you think that that's what essentially set you up for success in that role? Was you kind of understood the mechanics of, of the way the business operated? Yeah, and I think I think even now, um, one of my passions is really understanding how the business operates. Yeah. Um, if you can, we need to be really careful of the roles that we're in and the influence that we have. That we don't we don't design a solution. That may be the best technology-wise, but you know doesn't really help the business achieve what they're trying to do. So, yeah. um, if you can take a step back, understand where the business is going and what they're trying to achieve, and then keep that in mind when you're designing whatever it is you're designing, I think it holds you in good stead. But yeah, so that certainly helped. Under- understanding how the business worked to then get a great outcome out of yeah. the system was certainly yeah. When you look back at that time um, with Telstra. Um, maybe it wasn't conscious at the time because, as you say, you're straight out of the blocks from high school and, yep. and first job. But when you kind of look back, was there? Do you think there was anything in particular that you did that enabled you to stand out to be able to get those opportunities to progress? I think, I think there's a there's a, a couple of things. I think one is um, working hard. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think when you're when you're particularly when you're starting your career out, um, there's a lot of people. They're at the same level that you are, and yeah. and you've really got to you've really got to stand out from the pack. And one of the ways of doing that is just, you know, really delivering and getting good output um, and getting results on the board. Yeah. Once you get results on the board, you start to establish trust. Yeah. Once you start to establish trust, you build credibility. Yeah. Um, and then when, you know, the opportunities arise, um, maybe your name's one of the ones that's put on the table. Yeah. Um, particularly internally, I, I think that's really. Uh, valid 
these days is a little bit different externally, you know, because yeah. there's, there's things like LinkedIn and um, everybody's so interconnected and so networked now that a lot of people know people. And I often get rung by people like yourself and your team <laughs> saying, hey, do you know anyone? Yeah. Um, but that also comes back to when you reflect on places that you've worked, who you've enjoyed working with and who's done a great job in helping you achieve what you do. So Absolutely. I think that's a that's a core. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's, there's a lot of talk about, um, in the contemporary world we're in now, about personal brand. Mm-hmm. And you immediately think about LinkedIn yep. and personal branding. But actually what you're describing there, you know, we're talking about almost 25 years ago, um, yeah, easy, is, easy. is, is uh, yeah. we'll edit that. That's yeah. right. Um, but we're talking about a different type of personal brand, which is the, re- the reputation yep. that you build and what you become known for. You know, they often say, you know, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're talking about. The importance of, of, you know, the early start of your career is getting known for someone that works hard and gets stuff done. Yeah. And, and, um, one, one of the things whenever I interview someone and they say, what are you looking for? Um, a safe pair of hands often comes up. Yeah. You know, someone, someone who's just going to, you can, you can trust to execute. And I think that's what I prided myself on. If, if yeah. you give me something, I'll do it to the best of my ability and I'll, I'll execute as best I can. Yeah. Um, and once you start to get a reputation for that, yeah. um, then you know, the, the, the scope of what you work on starts to change as well because at the, at the start they'll be quite conservative and give maybe safer yeah. Um. Things, and then they'll throw you the bigger challenges, which is where you can really shine and really, you know, make make it known what you do differently. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. And after um, after quite a stint there with with Telstra, mm-hmm. you you moved to IBM. Yeah. Was was that in a consulting role? <laughs> it was. It yeah, was. Okay. So um, it was. So the the Telstra the Telstra project was sort of run. Um, in conjunction with Deloitte and yep. Deloitte Tushimatsu, um and IBM back then, and it sort of got to a point where I'm like, okay, I, I, I like this SAP thing, um, I want to continue it, um, and you know, Telstra was sort of getting to the end of their project, and yep. what next? Um, and so I had a couple of conversations with both, and ended up, you know, it was called Business Consulting Services back then, but yeah, yeah. Jumped, jumped into IBM and and worked on you know some pretty big SAP rollouts. Um, a small. I, I did a smaller period of time on in Mitsubishi when they were based in Adelaide, yeah. when the manufacturing plant was still there. Uh, but then the juggernaut, which was the National Australia Bank, and, and all right. this, all their overseas subsidiaries, yeah. um, which was a huge program. So that's it's interesting because I see a lot of tech leaders um, have some kind of time in their career where they work in consulting. Mm. Um, do you think that that kind of sets you up with a skill set to really understand customer problems? I think it's about perspective. Yeah. Um, I very much prefer to be client side or customer side. Yeah, I think, but being on the consulting side um, gives you a, a. They're pretty good at what they do in terms of establishing a process and a methodology to understand yeah. what the customer's trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and so learning that has helped me immensely in terms of yeah. right, let's let's not talk about what you think the solution is. Let's actually just talk about what the problem is. Yeah, um, and then leave us to come up with the, the best solution that we can. Certainly, hold you in good stead. I, I would consulting that you're either made for it or you're not. Yeah, um, because it is it's a hard slog. Yes, and they'll get their pound of flesh out of you and then some. Um, but again, it, the reward of um, understanding different approaches, 
different businesses, all that sort of stuff, I think um, you can really apply as you, as you go on to your career. Um, the only reason I the only reason I ended up leaving IBM was because you know family took priority. I, yeah. I'd just been married. We just had our first child. Yeah. I was living out of a suitcase. That wasn't that wasn't for me anymore. So yeah. And again, yeah, that's that's pretty consistent, right? Isn't it? People kind of hop off at that point. But I think the the exposure you get, as you say, to a multitude of industries, organisations, cultures, leadership styles, people, problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in the in the space of I think it was about three and a half, four years. Yeah. I worked at Vic Police, I worked yeah. at Mitsubishi, and I worked at the National Australia Bank. Yeah. Now, flagship brands, but also very, very different business sectors. And getting that variety, um, you get a such you get a much more balanced view. I was at Telstra for 11 years. There's, yeah. there's, there's one way of doing things. That's right. right? Yeah, so. that's exactly right. And then after IBM, as you say, you, 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 you left, which is interesting there for the family side of things. Um, and then over the next, let's say, sort of 10 years, you had a series of management roles, really as an SAP specialist, yeah. I would call it. Yep. Um, and you worked with some phenomenal organizations. You worked at GSK, Alphutane, MM&G, and Landmark. Yep. Um, how conscious were you of kind of building your career around being that SAP expert? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't, right. if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what I took to and what Telstra gave me and what I did at IBM was um, security and access control, user permissions, authorizations. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those great roles where you're actually at the coalface yeah. and you're designing what we'd call these days the UX, you yeah. know, what, what, yeah. the, what, what the person can see and what they can do and what they're not allowed to do and all that. Um, and then I, I came into GSK as that in that security role um, and... My manager at the time uh, went on maternity leave, and I was asked to step into that role after, you know, I think it was about a year. And all of a sudden, all these people that were my peers yeah. were reporting to me, and yeah. I I was totally okay. unprepared. Yep, totally unprepared. <laughs> An amazing team, and I still say to this day, one of the best teams I've ever ever worked with. Okay, um, but the. The exposure into management and then you start to get involved into things that I guess you're totally oblivious to when you're just going through a sort of a day-to-day job. Um, and so that morphed into I was sort of heading up a, a small team in Asia-Pacific um, looking after, so we had to follow the Sun model, yeah. um, so support centres in Australia, uh, North America and London. And all of a sudden that team went from six to I think 28 yeah. at the end. And we're doing implementations into Singapore and into Japan, um, whilst you know some of the team, you know, a couple of my team members end up going all around the world, so, you know, implementing SAP at all our manufacturing sites at GSK. Um, and yeah, it's just it, it was it was a fascinating experience. Um, I, I had an amazing boss. I, I had an amazing boss and amazing two up boss, Peter Tanconi and Alex Middleton. Yeah. Um, and it got to the it got to the end of that where um, Peter and I sat down and I sort of like. Okay, I've been doing this for six. What do we do? And he said, um, he said, well, your next move's probably to Brentford over in London. Yeah. And at that point, I had a, a six and a four-year-old. Yeah, okay. Who were, no, sorry, a bit younger than that, four and two-year-old, um, who were both very outdoors kids. Yeah. Loved, um, loved their moment in the sun. And we, we sort of did the math and... It wasn't going to be right for us for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, and my wife at the time said, um, well, if we're going to consider London, maybe we should just consider somewhere. Okay. 
And so I sort of threw myself out back in the day of the, the very initial job boards. Um, and in the space of a couple of months, I had I had three offers on the table, which, yeah. I, which I didn't expect, Anton, at all. Um, one for Perth, yeah. uh, mining company. Uh, one in Singapore for this thing called renewable energy, wind yeah. farms, which was just emerging. I yeah. <laughs> really curious. Um, and one in the Middle East mm. um, in Dubai. Uh, all doing SAP, you know, senior SAP management yep. roles. And um, my wife said at the time, well, if we're going to go to Perth or Singapore, we might as well go the whole way. It's, you know. <laughs> and so I ended up taking the role at Dubai um, yeah, fantastic. and exposed into a family business, mm. first time, you know, privately owned. Um, the whole Middle Eastern culture shock, you know, it's an amazing, amazing place. And I, I'd recommend to anybody, if they get the opportunity, provided you choose your destination carefully. Yeah. Um, to do it, um, but, you know, all of a sudden I was working in a business that, you know, had um, operations in Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Bahrain, Oman, Kuwait, yeah, wow. Dubai, Qatar, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. So what, what did you, um, um, you, sorry, in the last five minutes you've said so many things, I've got, my head is buzzing <laughs> sorry, with questions. No, it's great. Um, let's talk about that specifically. So what, what did you... What surprised you? What did you learn from that experience about working with different cultures? Yeah, well, um, so absolute culture shock to start with, and and, yeah. and you know, prior to that, I'd, I'd spent a fair amount of time in Singapore, and I'd li- and I'd either commuted or lived in Japan for about eighteen months. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was my first culture. Yeah. Um, but just totally different, you know. Um, time, time, you know, Western. Western society, especially in technology and in business in general, times everything. Yeah, times discretionary. You know, things will happen in time, and you've yep. got to be patient. Yeah, um, you've got to be respectful of local cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to understand that, um, particularly in the Middle East, um, relationships mean more than capability. Yeah, and relationships particularly mean more than sometimes business outcomes. Yeah, okay. And so having the ability to engage senior stakeholders prior to entering into meeting rooms to say, this is what we're going to discuss. Ideally, this is the outcome that we need. Are you on board? Um, was pivotal. Or else yeah. you'd get into meetings and they would just totally derail because they didn't want it to go that way. No other reason. There was no. There was quite often no logic around it. So. In terms of that cultural... Um I know, climatisation, let's call it, for example. Was that through trial and error? Or did, did you have a mentor that <coughs> kind of guided you through? I had, I, had a great, I had a great boss who was from South Africa yeah. um, who sort of helped me through some of the ropes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it was trial and error. I, I, made, I made a ton of mistakes, yeah. um, not reading the room carefully, um, not understanding the politics, not understanding the backstories, yeah. not understanding who the real decision makers were in the room, who may not necessarily yeah. be the most senior people. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, Is there any from that experience that you, you kind of apply today? Yeah, definitely. Um, stakeholder management is probably one of the yep. um, most underappreciated skills at our level, I think. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to have a business case and it's one thing to have outcome-driven you know, projects and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, having the business and the key stakeholders involved. Yeah. And that can go all the way up to the board. Yeah. Um, if you're lucky enough to, to get that, that time with board members is pivotal. You know, yeah. um, 
understanding where they're trying to go, which may not necessarily be 100% aligned with what the current business strategy is. Yep. Understanding the longer term, the backstory. If you can, if you can massage your narrative to incorporate those, things become a whole lot easier. And the only way you can do that is when you sit down and talk with people, not just about work. Yeah, got it. So you actually build that personal relationship. Have to. Yeah. Have to. Um, and that's something that I, you know, even to this day, I spend a lot of time um, just sitting there with people and just talking. You know, quite often, quite often I have people come in and say, what do you want to talk about? And I'm, what do you want to talk about? You know, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of things we can kick off with, but really, what's on your mind? How can I help? What can I do to make your job a bit easier? Yeah, okay. And did you did you just, again, does that come natural to you or did you learn that style from a specific leader in your career? Um, I think, look, both of my both of my parents were fairly personable. Okay. Um, my dad particularly loved to chat. Yep. So I, I, I think there's certainly some hereditary stuff there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think I think your individual style is something that you've got to craft. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, trial and error. Yeah. There are things that work. There are things that don't. Um, and particularly, you know, the things that don't work. Yeah. Taking the time to actually reflect on them and go. Oh, I got that wrong. What, what can I do to differently is important. Yeah, okay. Um, I noticed uh, when you were with Landmark, yep. you stepped, I'm going to call it the USAP bubble, mm. out of that into a head of IT role. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I was I was going towards that in Dubai. Okay. Um, you know, had fairly, fairly frank conversations with the CEO and the owner at that point. Yeah. Um, but family circumstances dictated that we needed to come home. So... Okay. Career took a bit of a, a reset. Yeah, um, I'd been out of out of the country for a long time, so sort of had to re-establish mm. that personal brand and that credibility. You know, no one knew who I was, and yeah. I, I know that sounds a bit, you know, full of myself. But um, you know, it's hard to step back into a role in Melbourne, yeah. and they're like, "Well, what have you been doing? I've been working over here. I've never heard of that business." Yeah, you know, and Alpha Tame's a five billion dollar. Entities, yes, yeah. right, but they're they're just not known over here. Yeah. So, um, so I stepped into a, a couple of a couple of SAP roles, and then um, Mario Tiepo, who is still uh, an amazing sounding board for me to this day. Yeah. Um, he was CIO at Landmark, and he he decided he was moving on to at that point SP Osnet. Yeah. Um, and he had a chat with me and said, "I think you should have a crack." And at that point, I hadn't even. I was. I was still a bit in the reset mode. Yes. And he goes, "Oh, I think you're up for this." And yeah, so I stepped into the the head of IT or CIO role at Landmark. Um, again, amazing business, amazing support, and I, th- I think having that support of the executive leadership team in technology roles, yeah. which again comes back to that stakeholder management yep. and that alignment to business outcomes, um, really helps you get stuff done. What, what do you think Mario saw in you? Look. Um, he knows I'm pretty passionate. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty determined. Um, sometimes to a fault. You know, sometimes I some of the some of the some of the reflection that I've done and some of the feedback I've been given is, you know, sometimes you just need to take your foot off the gas. Yeah. A little bit. Um, because I'm pretty determined. Um, and I'm pretty stubborn too. Yep. <laughs> which isn't great. Um, so so I think um, you know, that that's what I learned from Mario is just Read the room. So again, yep. just understand how it's all playing out, and don't don't necessarily um, 
die in the ditch over stuff that's not worth it. Yes. Choose your battles if you like. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also understand that you're not going to win everything, and that's okay. Yep. You know, you can put your case up. You can have the conversation. You can actually disagree, but at the end of the day, if that's what the business want to do, then your job's to support it and roll out and and be enable that to happen, yep. whether you align with it or not. Yep. You know, that's that's what you're here to do. Yeah, great. And after Landmark, you you moved to uh, Sony Par mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence Hansen, and mm-hmm. that was as a, a, a CIO. Yep. How was that kind of step up into that kind of next C level role? From yeah, and again back to family business. Yeah, okay. Um, and you'll see that there's a there's a history of family businesses now, sort of. Um, yeah, that was good. Um, again, French owned, so different operating model, um, with some with some real challenges. Um, I'd, I'd obviously had a a pretty extensive career in retail. Um, but not B2B. Yes. And so now I was picking up the B2B bit. Um, so there was there was a lot of learning in that, and that was really when um, things like e-commerce and all that stuff were really starting to take off. So, yep. um, you know, the, the digital team there did a great job of rolling out a, an e-commerce platform that's still in use today. Um, and that was, was a yeah. electrical wholesaling, is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Actually, literally, literally selling the stuff behind the wall my, my, my first job actually was a sales rep, electrical wholesaling. So there you uh, go. Back in many years ago. But um, so th- again, that's a very traditional yep. model. Again, you're dealing with tradies, with sparkies, you're, you're selling products on site, yep. essentially. Yep. Um, so I can't, uh, again, I try and imagine what that digital transformation must have been like into that kind of more e commerce world and yeah, what and, challenges and, you faced. And I only spent, I was only there for, for a year and a half, and then there was a change in strategy. Yeah. Um, then that you know there was a, there was a restructure, um, and I think that's another learning. You know, sometimes yeah. sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah. In your career, um, through through no fault of your own, um, yeah. things change, mm-hmm. um, and so that was different. Um, and there was a, there was a there was a strong push early on to um, not necessarily move away from the bricks and mortar business because that is exactly. Yep. What is important is getting the tradespeople in, having the conversation that's with right. them, but making it easier. And yep. that's that's when it, at first, and it's one of my, it's one of my, um, you know, my team probably gets sick of me saying it. Um, if we make the employee experience, everyone everyone's really concerned about customer experience and giving the customer an, an amazing experience. And of course, that's where the bills get paid. Right? Yeah. Um, but I fundamentally believe if you make the employee experience the best it can possibly be. Then the customer experience will be outstanding yes. because it's easy for them to do their job, and that's what came back here was yeah, okay. we need to make the, the the team that are at the counter working with the tradesmen we need to make their job as easy as possible. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then after that role, you you moved to Devondale, mm. um, and it's interesting because I also noted that you, it was family businesses, mm. and then you've gone to Devondale ASX listed, yeah, I believe, a co-op. Put so, a co-op, yeah. So it's a, again a very different, um, yeah, and 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 primary industry. Yeah. So I hadn't worked there. Well, I'd done a bit of mining, um, but totally different. You know, it's sort of my ag, and 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 I loved I loved landmark. I loved, I loved the the principle behind that landmark. You know, really looking yep. after the farming community and those those primary producers that keep keep us all going, um, and so um, as I said, my departure from Sonopar wasn't planned. Yes, and so had a bit of a look around. Um, John Kelvey uh, was looking for someone to sort of pick up the SAP 
team there. So again, yeah. back to a yeah. back away from a CIO role. Mm. Um, but you know, sort of they were they were going through a purchase. So Saputo were in the process of buying out yes. the business, and it was very much about you know um, let's not scare the horses too much because yeah. there's a lot going on. So let's just keep focused on what we need to do. Um, and I was only there very briefly. Um, and I remember one of the other senior leaders at the time said, you know, why are you here? You're, you're a CIO, why have you stepped down and all that sort of stuff? And um, sure enough, um, about 10 months in, I got a phone call about a potential role. You know, and it's working for a, a big family-owned business. They work in, the, uh, they work in the, um, you know, the security space and a couple of other sectors and being quite um, careful with their words. Um, would you know anyone who wants to sort of t- step in? There's a, there's a huge IT transformation that needs to be done um, and they're looking for someone to take it on. You know, can you think of anyone? And I said, well, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and that's when I stepped into the role at Wilson. So, Got it. Um, but so sorry, before we go to Wilson, so that's interesting. So that the, the takeaway there is that being, being bold enough sometimes actually to step into a role that you were very comfortable in, in that SAP role at Devondale. Yep. Right. Um, but to buy yourself some time to really also then just reconsider what you wanted from your career. Yeah, and there's been a few resets. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. Mm. As I said, you know, I, I came back from Dubai. That was a reset. Again, that was personal circumstances uh, necessitated that. You know, we needed to be back in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, that is what it is. So you need to reset again. Um, Sonopar, not by choice. Yeah. Reevaluate, reset. I had some fascinating conversations with some quite senior leaders in some amazing businesses, um, but it wasn't right for me. Um, but Murray Goldman was, I knew, I knew I could make a difference, I knew I could make an impact, yeah. but it was also within safety. And, and, and having, that, having that foresight to know, to be bold and brave and courageous and step out of your comfort zone, mm. and also having I guess the the sensibility to say actually I need to be conservative here. Yeah, I think is really important. Yeah, right. And you, as you mentioned, you then went on to Wilson Group, and I guess most people will be familiar with it from parking their car. Yep. <laughs> in the in the city, or yep. uh, and that's kind of what you think of with Wilson. But obviously, yeah. it, is, it, it is much more complex than that as an organisation. What role did tech play in in, in that organisation? So it is an amazingly complex business. Yeah. Um, a pretty well kept secret. A lot of people would know Wilson Parking. Yeah. Obviously, um, a lot of people would have seen the Wilson Security Patrol cars yep. going around. But you know, um, at that point, there were, there's a storage business. You know, in Melbourne, Wilson Storage, I think is up to about 20 sites now. So, so they're certainly around. Um, and then there was a there was a, a medical and health, um, you know, non-urgent patient transport. You know, the the non-lights on ambulances, and so it was it was much more complicated than I than I thought. Yeah. Um, and Business unit and, and multiple countries, so Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Malaysia, um, and business unit autonomy is something that they absolutely champion. So you come into this um, this corporate role, and quite often in IT roles, you, you're told to standardise and to centralise and yep. um, to make things more consistent. Um, and then the the core fabric of the business was well, we do things differently. We might be a parking business in Australia versus a parking business in New Zealand we do it a little bit different and, and yeah. we're comfortable with that. And so it was about, it was an amazing role. Um, I learned a ton, I had a, I had a great team, half based in Perth, so I was back yeah. on the commute again. Um, 
but you know, a, a leadership team that were relentless in their pursuit for improvement, um, yeah. relentless in their pursuit for increasing market share, um, and and fundamentally just um, wanted to drive as much as they could technology-wise, mm. whilst keeping a close eye on the on the balance sheet and the P and L. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't tech at all costs. But it was tech where it made sense. And what I read on your resume was, um, I guess, just the diversity of what you got involved in from tech. There was everything there from cybersecurity into data into launching an app, yeah. uh, more sheet of other things, which I forget now. But it, but I looked and I thought, wow, you know, you really touched everything from a tech standpoint in that. I think you were there five years. Yeah, yeah, nearly five. Um, um, and it was interesting because up until that point, I'd been very much application focused. Yeah, that's right. Very much SAP focused. Mm. Um, the only SAP product they had there was Success Factors, and that wasn't in when I started. That business, that that project had literally just started, um, and so I quickly had to, you know, in in previous roles, whilst I had responsibility for infrastructure and cyber and those sorts of things, it didn't have quite the same level of complexity and scrutiny yeah. as we had at Wilson. Um, but with Wilson, particularly on the security side, looking after some, you know blue chip clients, ASX 200, some government entities, um, the the complexity around security and how good you are at what you do is the difference between winning the contract and not. Well, and, and, and so it wasn't about, it wasn't about um, keeping our business safe, it was about, obviously that's important, but keeping our customers safe as well and having that reputation and trust that we are in control of, of what we do and we are damn good at it. And, and and I actually heard you talking on the the Security Collective podcast about about that yeah. about how you know cybersecurity went from being about risk management to competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to that and I was thinking that's probably the journey of tech over the last twenty years. You know, it used to be <laughs> the computer, you know, turn it on, turn it off, yeah. IT support, but actually in most organisations it's now become that differentiator. Yeah, especially when you're go to market. Yes. Right, so especially when you're out there trying to win business, yeah, um, and you, you, as I said, you got the big end of town saying, "Well, why you versus your competitor?" That's right. And when you can sit there and and you know, with some of the modern tools these days, actually compare yourself to your competitor and say, "Well, the information's there." You know, we welcome we welcome any questions, and you know, my my infrastructure lead, who's now the CTO there, um, would would be across the table. You know, in the contract conversations yep. about, well, you get your best cyber people in, we'll roll ours in, ask us whatever you want, open book, yep. you know, but we're, we're, we're confident in what we do. And I, th- I think that's really important. I think um, keeping that sense of humility, but being confident in what you do, be it, be it if you're across the table trying to win a bid or you're across the table with a stakeholder, um, is really important, you know, and particularly being authentic. Yeah. You know, um, so if, you, if you're humble but you're confident and you show some authenticity and you have that connection, then things happen, be it a deal, be it an outcome, be, yeah. it, be it a resolution, whatever it is. And, and, and so that's the evolution of tech, right, from internal stakeholder to all stakeholders. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how that, how that continues to grow uh, in, in, in the future as well. 
Um, and after Wilson, you've you've moved on where you are now at Dennis, um, yep. at Dennis Family Homes. What so what pulled you towards residential construction <laughs> in the current climate? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation, Anton. Um, yeah. I got I got approached. Um, I was I used the word I was curious in the market. I wasn't actively looking, um, but I was getting to that point at Wilson where if I was going to if I was going to stay, I was probably going to stay for another three to four years because yeah. there were some really significant programs of work kicking off. And I, I'm a firm believer in you don't leave things sort yeah. of halfway. Um, and so I was, as I said, I wasn't actively looking, but you know, if I, if I got a phone call, I'd be curious about it. Um, and I was going for a role at a well-known retail brand, I won't say who it is, um, and a well-known um, beverage brand. And I, I passed both of those down because they weren't quite right. And one of those recruitment consultants said, I've got something a little bit left field for you. And I went, okay. And they said, um, it's residential construction. I said, interesting. Um, they said, it's quite small. You know, it, it's it's 500 odd employees. Um, it was actually smaller than that. It was about 300, as I found out. Um, where I'd come from, Wilson was 12,000 people. Yeah. Right. Um, Victorian only. Um, like, well, I've currently got an international remit. Um, but a but a but a huge opportunity, you know. They've got to, they've got to drive um, a serious transformation. And I said, okay. I said, I'm curious, but transformation when the market's as suppressed as it is, and every construction business mm. was up against it. And we've seen what happens. You know, what's happened with a couple of Dennis's competitors. Yeah. Um, you know, do they can they walk the talk? You know, uh, are they really serious about this? And I think what won me over, Anton, was that. Um, you know, I met I met the I met the MD of the housing business. I met the group CEO and CFO, and they were amazing. But then they asked me to meet the board, yeah. and I met a board member, um, and I sat down with with that person, um, and they sort of said, "Look, we know we've got to invest, and we know that we're in a tough place financially, but if we don't invest, we've got no chance." Yeah, sort of thing. So we want this role to come in. We want to we want to establish someone who's going to focus on customer facing tech, yeah. And clearly, some of the things I've done at, at Wilson and a few of the other businesses, you know, had a bit of a track record in really focusing on the customer outcome. And as I said, by making the employee experience best I can. Um, and I said, okay, well, let's go through it. Um, and you know, so then January last year, uh, I step into a role, and as I said, business was the market was really tough. Business was really tough. And um, you know, th- three months later, ninety-day review. I'm sitting down with the board, um, very different board, um, because you know there's there's people with the surname Dennis on the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually it's actually their it's really their money. Yes. Right. And again, that's a totally different mm. viewpoint. Um, and it was actually it was actually that person that turned around and said, "Well, we've got you in to do a job." Because I sat there and I said, "Well, I need a small team and I need some capital investment," and I know. Mm. Both headcount and capital in a business that's going through a tough time is a is a really big ask. But here's what I'm going to do with it. Um, and yeah, the board turned around and said, "Well, we got you in to do a job. Well, I guess you know we, we've got to support you, but there's certain terms yeah. and conditions yep. to that. You know, we, and we want visibility and we want to see velocity and, and you know, and that that's where it went. So I I, I can't fault you know the support of um, 
Sean, Sean Ralph Smith, my CEO, I can't fault the support of the board. They've been yeah. incredible. And, and we're doing some really amazing things. We're really changing it up. And um, there's obviously a lot I can't talk about. Um, yeah. But, you know, you'll, you'll see some things in the coming months where we're really changing the game of how you sell a residential house. That's great. Look, I love it. I love that in your career you've gone into let's say non-traditional companies that people think about tech yep. um, and you can see the passion in you uh, about that, about working in those companies and the transformation and the journey that they're coming on as well. And I yep. think that that's, that's really admirable. And I think that, again, it, it clearly it resonates with you to be in much more of a family type setup. You know, you, you, even they spoke about your parents earlier on, mm. that family's obviously a, an important yeah, I mean, asset to yeah, you. Yeah, dad, dad was self-employed. Yes. So, so I guess that gravitates to me. Um, I guess Anton, uh, and we had this conversation earlier, is, is it foolhardy or is it courageous, is it brave? Sometimes it's all of those. Yeah. Um, but I, I strongly believe in going where you can make the biggest difference and the most impact. Yeah. Um, and as I said, some of those have landed, some yeah. of those haven't, um, but that's okay. You know, provided, provided you... You get home at the end of the day and you're thinking, you know, have I made a difference today? That That's what drives me. Yeah, right. And so you said if you didn't land, um, thinking more broadly about your career, any career regrets? No regrets. Um, there's certainly there's certainly some roles where I've stepped into and I remember giving Julie a call at one point saying, oh, I, I'm not sure I've made the right call here. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then being in that position where you either leap straight away or you stick it out and try and make a difference. Yep. And, I, and I've generally stuck it out and tried to make a difference. Okay. Um, there's only been really two of those. Um, but again, it's about then, okay, well, what do I do with this? It's not going, you know, it's not everything. It didn't, it didn't appear like it was on the outside. Um, so what can I do? Well, what you can do is go back to what you do best, you know, um, surround yourself with good people, make them feel empowered um, give them give them the sense and, and the encouragement that they can they can take risks again again not reckless but you know you can take some risks and be ambitious and I've got your back and and, and drive a culture of that um, really makes a difference and then you start to see people get their tails up and start to have a bit of a go yeah um, and then things happen right um, and then at the end of it. You decide, you know, is that something that I can stick out? Cultures, culture's massive for me. Yeah. And the, the two that I would call, not regrets, but maybe if I had my time again, might think through it differently, the, the culture was a challenge. But sometimes, you know, you've got, to, you've, got, you've got to work in a culture that you realise I don't want to work in to understand what you do want to work yep. in. Um, I know I've personally experienced that, and <laughs> I think that that's sometimes you don't know. You know, the grass is greener. I suppose mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. You don't know how good you've got it or what good is. Yep. Um, until you, you, you kind of see the other. Um, we also think about how we're you know we're shaped by the feedback we receive. Uh, what would be the most significant feedback you've received in your career? Um, that's a really good question. Um, channel channel my tenacity. Yeah. So don't don't be blinded, don't be blinded by um, your personal agenda, but use it to make sure you you apply your you apply your efforts in the right spaces. Yeah. Because there's a lot going on in our roles. Yes. You know, and when people say, "What are you working on?" I love those. You know, I often get requests on LinkedIn. Of, I'm curious to hear about what you've got planned for this year. Yeah. Well, how many days do you have? Yeah. You know, because it's <laughs> it's it's endless. So. Um, 
really channeling that tenacity into the, the things that really matter yeah. and maybe letting some of the other ones just slide because it's not a big deal. Yeah, um, okay. So choosing your battles yeah, you could be another way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the other piece is, um, and it's absolutely another one of my mottos, no surprises. So if there's going to be one of those meetings where it's going to get a bit hairy yeah. or it's going to be a bit awkward, um, make sure you've engaged all the stakeholders prior so that they know that that's coming. And it's okay for there to be separate points of opinion and all that sort of stuff, but let's not let's not put something on the table where someone <laughs> goes, I had no idea that was coming, um, would be the two. And, 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 I, and I'd, I'd been guilty of that a couple of times where a meeting was maybe going a little bit a little bit off uh, off agenda and I'd thrown something out there maybe maybe in hindsight from frustration and the whole meeting blew up because yep. they're like hang on didn't know anything about this yeah okay could have played it better right. so, you, so, you're, yeah, so you're, certainly no surprises so the opposite to no spoilers you're yeah. all about the spoilers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah look um, if I'm going to give you some bad news you're going to know about it before you get in the room yeah okay um, yeah. because I need you to be focused on bad news is one thing, but what do you do about it? Well, they can assimilate right. and then focus on the on the, yep. on the solution, yep. as you say, rather than the, the actual problem itself. Yep. And, and that's when leadership really gets tested. Yeah. Right? Leadership really gets tested when it's hard. Um, being a leader when things are going great is easy. Yeah. You know, when the, when, when the company's up and about and the team are up and about and you're kicking goals and all that sort of stuff, it's pretty easy to walk around and go, how good are we going? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you are up against it and things aren't going to plan and you've got you know various challenges and your back's against the wall, that's when it really defines who you are as a leader and that's when the team look to you to be that lighthouse yeah. and that's really important. And you, actually earlier on you spoke about, um, had some great bosses mm. and you worked with some great people and you've, as I said at the start, you've worked in every corner of the globe, people from every corner of the globe, lots of different organisations, industries, sectors, etc. When you think about great leadership, what does that mean to you? Um, another good question. From from what I look for is I look for someone who um, seeks to understand. Yeah. Um, someone who um, has the has the wisdom to make a call and has the courage. To potentially change that if new information comes to light. A lot of people yeah. get frustrated because decisions change. Yeah. People make decisions based on the information they got at that point in time. And sometimes yeah. things change and that means the decision needs to change. Um, but for me, leadership is, yeah. Um, and, and then that trust and that empowerment and that that sense of run, I'm right behind you. Yeah. Um, you keep shooting, I'll keep reloading yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> um, like is, is exactly... You know what? What I what I think when I think about my great leaders, yeah, that's what I've had. I've had I've had people who have been behind me a hundred percent, who aren't afraid to tell me to course correct because the situation's changed. Yeah, but also will back me in when I when I really firmly believe in something. Yeah, great. Um, for my team, um, the the great teams I've worked in and and with um, collaboration. Um, not staying in your lane, so being prepared to muck in. So it's it's yeah. not it's not doing everything, but if a particular department or a particular person is struggling, going in and giving them a chop out 
Yeah. Um, and and having each other's backs really important. Yeah, great. And what what um, what do you enjoy the most about being a tech leader? Oh, the variety is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people say, "What do you do?" You know. Yeah. What What do you do in your day? Um, I think I think being able to being able to start with a, a business opportunity or a business challenge, and at the end of it, stand something up to go. You know, I really contributed to that. And the number one measure of anything we do is adoption. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, and seeing people actually take something and run with it and go, "This is cool." That's what I love. Yeah. Right. Um, and that could be anything, or that could be um, if I take the, you know, I guess the the risk and cyber approach, um, just that acknowledgement that you know you're keeping your employees and your customers safe. Yeah, is, is pretty important too. Yeah, great. If you, um, it's my final question, probably around kind of career and, and mm. of sorts. But if you had one singular piece of sage advice that you would give to the next generation, what, what would it be? I really think, and we sort of alluded to it earlier, choose your times to be courageous yeah. and choose your times to be conservative. Yeah. But if you're not sure, be courageous. So take take a chance yeah. versus not. Um, especially if you're fairly new to your career or fairly young, there's plenty of time. There's yeah. plenty of time to reset, Yeah. right? Um, and when you get to my age, a little bit, older um you have a bit of more wisdom to figure out you know where does that balance sit yeah but yeah um that would be my advice don't don't be afraid to be bold and courageous yeah um but don't be reckless yes yes good advice yeah thank you um i love to find out what people read Mm -hmm. as well going off topic a bit but i'm curious to see you know how you kind of stimulate your thinking and yep uh, whether it's relaxation or development, whatever it could be, but yep. um, what what what's on your kind of read list? There's a, there's a couple of things. Um, I, I think a couple of my go tos um, that that I haven't read for a while, but I occasionally pick up, um, and these were given to me by Cameron Schwab. Um, yeah. I, I've done a fair bit of work with Cam, and that was great fun. Um, but uh, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, okay, um, is a great book about just working your way through challenge and, and those sorts of things. Um, for those of us that are big in productivity and prioritization and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits yeah. is a great read. Um, currently at the moment, um, I'm massive in pro sport and, and I, th- okay. I, th- I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of parallels between professional sport and elite business performance and that's why mm-hmm. I think Cam and I get along so well uh, from his roles in the AFL, etc. I'm reading Dan Carter. So Dan Carter, the former All Blacks. Yes. Uh, Dan Carter's The Art of Winning. I've read that, yes. Great. At the moment. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. So so they'd be my three. Um, yeah. And then um, there's a few other smatterings around. Yeah. You know, but uh, any anything to do with um, elite performance in sport is usually we'll get, a, we'll get a, a look through from me. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Look, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Um, it's been insightful and uh, just interesting to hear your journey. Yeah, it's um, certainly it's certainly a different one. You know, started as a humble payroll administrator. That's right. Look where I am. <laughs> and, and still much more to achieve as well. Yeah, a lot to do. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Anton. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Tales from Tech Tysons. And be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to get more insights about tech careers, then check out the Ember. That's E-M-M-B-R LinkedIn page. 
with the latest updates, articles, and engaging discussions.